Welcome to the weekly podcast of Capital Outlook from Wyoming PBS. Capital Outlook is a weekly show broadcast whenever the Wyoming legislature is in session from Cheyenne. To learn more, visit us at wyomingpbs.org. Welcome to Capital Outlook, I'm Bob Beck. We will be previewing the 2022 budget session with a number of outstanding guests for you. Senate President Dan Dockstader and Speaker of the House Eric Barlow will join us to talk about a number of issues. We'll also get into the topic of redistricting with Senator Ogden Driscoll and Representative Dan Zwanitzer, who are chairing the committee looking into the issues. And then Representatives Carly Prevenza and Mike Yin will discuss Medicaid expansion and a number of other issues. Stay with us. Capital Outlook is coming up next. This program is supported in part by a grant from the BNSF Railway Foundation, dedicated to improving the general welfare and quality of life in communities throughout the BNSF Railway Service Area. Proud to support Wyoming PBS. And by the members of the Wyoming PBS Foundation. Thank you for your support. Well, welcome back to Capital Outlook. I'm Bob Beck. We have a couple of special guests to kick off this special program leading into the legislative session. Senate President Dan Dockstader is with us, also Speaker of the House Eric Barlow. Gentlemen, welcome to the program. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Well, President Dockstader, I want to start off and just say that, and maybe both of you can respond to this, this has been quite a couple of years. We've had COVID to deal with. You've had, uh, it seems like, a lot of special sessions, but maybe a couple of them in there. There have been a lot of meetings. A lot's been going on. Have you ever, what's, Speak, what's this felt Speaker like? Barlow and I drew the lucky card that we ended up with them, maybe the two most unique years in the session. And we jumped in and had all this work to do, but at the same time, we were dealing with COVID. What do we do? How do we meet? Where do we meet? Mask up, don't mask up. Where are we with vaccines? And that whole issue was going on across the state, and we were dealing with that, and that made it all the more challenging. So, uh, nonetheless, that's what we hired on to do, and we're sorting it out. La the first year was rather difficult, where it was a startup session, and behind glass, uh, some there, some not. Uh, I recall the first day when I sat up there to get sworn in. Chief Justice, I heard, was a little uncomfortable about coming over in a COVID setting. He came in, I looked at the side door, he says, go out there, and I went out and he said, raise your hand. Sworn in, and he walked out, and I thought, well, here we go. I went up, gabbled in, and we started the session. It was very unique. Some on the floor, most out on big screens in front of me, and we started the session. Speaker Barlow, what were your thoughts about this last couple of years? Well, I think what, the thing that has, has struck me is we continue to do the work the work of the people, and we adapted to the circumstances that the president uh, described. Um, one, because we have a staff that you know, go, goes above and beyond on behalf of Wyoming and on behalf of the legislature. Um, two, we had lots of support from the executive branch and you know, the citizens of Wyoming saying, what you're doing is important, but we understand you have to make some modifications, um, some adjustments. Um, but, yeah, there's been some interesting, you know, interesting circumstances and, um, you know, the, the, the dynamics of the technology. But out of that, as you, we may have, we talked about earlier is 
we, now you can see the legislative proceedings anywhere from anywhere in the world, and you can participate if you so chose. And so that's something that while we had some, you know, some uh, inconveniences we thought at the time, we've actually learned quite a bit about how to give people even better access to their government and a way to have their, a voice in their government that extends beyond the four walls of this beautiful capital to the, you know, the four borders of our beautiful state and beyond that. So I think there's some really good lessons learned that we're going to continue to benefit from and, and uh, enjoy for the future. Yeah, and that was always something that was talked about and I was at the meeting when the decision was made to even start start streaming some of the meetings that uh, we have around the state. But when I'm watching, you have 80, 100, sometimes more participants watching some of the proceedings that are going on. I've always thought it was best if people didn't know what was happening, but, uh, but, but now they do. And, and do you hear from more folks? We do, uh, on a real-time basis. And, and I'm fascinated by the history. Yesterday we had management council in, this, in the old historic Supreme Court chambers, and I sat there looking around thinking about the start there, the Constitution, everything. And there we are all these years later live streaming not only to Wyoming but the world in a historic place. Oh, that's I, I think it's a fascinating time. Well, last year when we were here, uh, the theme was budget cuts. Uh, now you've got a little bit of money, uh, the American Rescue Plan money to spend. How does that change things, do you think, Speaker, uh, from an attitude standpoint? Well, certainly um, part of what we were dealing with last year was the, the shock, the COVID shock to the economy. And that, because Wyoming um, lives paycheck to paycheck, if you will, depending on the revenues and many of them coming from energy, which were dramatically affected by the uh, econ economic downturn because of COVID, Wyoming feels that you know, very acutely and very early. Um, it has several times in the past. We know there's no don't let a good bust go on you know, or a good boom. Um, so I think that there is more comfort now. I think there's also a, a more focus on how do we get, I don't know if we're gonna to get to this tax structure issue this year, but a more even path to, to go forward with. Um, because we see these big cycles, but when you average the cycle over, it's, a, it's basically steady state. So how do we actually avoid the, you know, the deep troughs and the high peaks and steady that out? And I think you're gonna hopefully see some um, policies come forth that help do that. One of them is of course, you know, do we use savings more? Do we use that? Um, savings to bolster those downturns. Legislative reserve account. We know that the rainy day fund. We know that was implemented in the mid six, uh, mid two thousands. President Dockstadter was a part of that to try to help even that out. There's probably some other fiscal policies that we are, will you'll hear about that that help with that. And but yes, it does take some pressure off the legislature when there's um, when there's not a not a deficit. How's that? Well, one of the things, uh, President Dockstadter that you've been told by your consensus revenue estimating group is while things do look pretty good now, boy, the future's very unknown. Uh, it, it, and, and it's still didn't. unsettled, Bob, yeah. it is. Yes, good things are happening with oil, gas, and coal right now. Uh, we are on the verge of some changing energy uh, supply sources, everything from nuclear to hydro, uh, hydrogen. It's, it's an exciting time to be a part of it all, but at the same time, we've got to be careful to transition into those areas and use the money we have now and look at long-term plans and projects, not just short-term. When you reference the federal money coming in, are there programs, are there plans that are not just a quick spend that we, are, we should set up, we should in, uh, instead 
look at setting up this state for decades to come with that money. The next generations should not be saddled with debt, but should be carefully have prog programs and projects that benefit them for decades to come. Do you, well, you've been watching, I know, what the Appropriations Committee has been doing. Uh, did they follow, essentially, the governor's plan of trying to be frugal, but still replace maybe some of the cuts that we saw last time? Yes, they have that balance. They took it on, and I commend them. Uh, I spent part of the time in Cheyenne just being an observer in the audience and, and watching it. I think they've got, done a good job of uh, doing what he started with, but then making the adjustments too. There are things that we have to look at as a state, as it changes. On the west side of the state, people can no longer afford to live there in state-paying jobs. We have to settle in and look at a program that will take them into the future. I, I spent time with the Teton County School District. You pay a teacher a good salary there, but where are they going to live? What are they going to live on? School districts looking at purchasing their own land and then adding some housing. That's not unlike what we're looking at with YDOT and the Game and Fish there. And with a member-owned cooperative there, Lower Valley Energy, I serve on that board. We're looking at ways to provide housing for employees in order to keep them right there where they work. What about yourself? Well, I think um, to, to the question about you know the work of JAC, I think they they certainly took the uh, governor's recommendations when it comes to the ARPA funds and the um, and then our you know um, improved out economic revenues. Um, you know, one of the discussions the president and I had with the governor and, and with our leadership teams early on as the ARPA starts, started rolling out is we have a unique opportunity here because of this. Um, revenue replacement because Wyoming was a unique state. It, our revenues were impacted by COVID because of the economic downturn that COVID um, created. So um, un unfortunate economic downturn. So we've been able to use some of the federal funds to actually um, help our state shorter term. We're going to set aside some of those and the governor did that with his, some of his programmatic approaches is what are the midterm and long-term benefits we can get some of these funds added to what we are already doing. So you'll see some um, initiatives that the governor put out there um, around education and, and the university and community colleges. And, you know, we take that in incremental steps to make sure we have results. But I think you will see things that actually do uh, build the human capital. At the same time, we need to invest in where our folks live and they're, and they're having a living wage, et cetera. That's one of the other things the governor brought forth is we have to do something to, you know, to help support our, our state employees um, so they can continue to serve the state, do the work that um, we, uh, we and, the, and the citizens expect from them. So we're gonna, there's going to be a good discussion, I believe, about that, that proposal to actually deal with living wages for our employees. Well, let, let's talk about another thing that you're going to have to get done, and it's redistricting, and it's only taken the committee since about June to finally agree to a plan, and who knows, they might change their mind uh, before this program even airs. But um, can you, uh, maybe Speaker Barlow, you'd be the best person to start with since you've been uh, uh, fighting very hard for your community and your county to get because of some population changes, uh, an additional representative. Tell me what, you, the, why don't you explain to folks how this has to work and, and why it's been so difficult this year because the population is, is really, uh, if you're in a small area, you haven't seen a lot of growth, but larger areas have really seen some gains. So the, um, first of all, let's be clear, the federal government didn't give us the census information until late in the year, September. We had hoped for it in May or June. So that delays the committee's ability to do the work. 
Um, and then, of course, that gets more compressed and the, the pressure gets greater and, and you know, the community interests get stronger and you have less time to actually sort it out and for folks to step back and say, what are, what are we trying to accomplish here? Now, I think the committee did, did good work. They set out some um, principles that made sense. Look, this is about equitable representation. But when the population changes and in um, in, in grows considerably in the urban areas, let's just be honest, and the rural areas get more rural, well, that creates that, that um, greater divide, if you will. Now, I don't know that that means, that doesn't mean that urban areas should get more representation or less. That means it should be based on the citizens, right? This is about equitable representation for citizens, for the voters of Wyoming. And so, yeah, there's, there's a push and pull and urban folks, you know, are saying, well, we grew, let's have more. Rural folks are saying, hey, we shrunk, but we don't want less. Um, we don't want to give up any. So there's just a natural pull. And then you talk about, you know, the regional differences and communities, et cetera. Well, I think that's natural too. And what we have to look at is partnerships, right? What are the partnerships that make sense? 10 years ago when Campbell County had grown some, we partnered with Converse County. And we've grown some more. Other parts of the states have shrunk. And so how do those partnerships work out? And that's, you know, I've, I've never thought, you know, my community is the only one that has to get equitable representation. I want equitable representation across the state for all of its citizens. And, but how you make those partnerships and how you build those maps, um, yeah, there's, there's just a natural tension in that. And uh, I think we're getting close, though, Bob. You know, I don't want to, I'm not pessimistic. We're going to have a map. It's going to come to the, uh, I think the president and I have kind of come to an understanding. It's probably come to the House first, and we'll, we'll do the work, and then we'll send it to the Senate, and they can, you know, tweak with things that are important to them. And then we'll have a, a bill that uh, I think will serve the citizens of Wyoming. We'll have a bill. That's what we came down here for. Uh, speaker spoke of partnerships, so we're trying to follow communities of interest in the Southwest, following the mineral-based industry, keeping those folks together, keeping ag tourism together to north, uh, out on the west side. He referenced that already, sir. So the plan right now, another senator and a couple of representatives, you want another senator in there? You have too many already? Actually, this morning I was looking at the floor and trying to decide where that desk would go. <laughs> we'll, we'll see how it goes. But that's, that's kind of where we're settling on at this point, and we have some agreement. At least we're moving forward. The other thing that's part of all of this, though, and, and it goes with the budget, too, is you've got all these new people that got elected last time. This will be the first time any of them have been through this. I was actually, I think Senator Scott and I were the only ones that were here. This is, again, admitting that I'm old. But in 1992, when we went to the current system of districts, that was as contentious of a legislative session as I've ever seen. Part of that was because of some budget cuts that were also going on. But how do you keep this with uh, some new people that maybe don't totally understand the process from blowing up and, and turning into something ugly? Bob, it's not old. It's institutional knowledge, and we appreciate you and Senator Scott bringing that to the t table for us. Uh, I don't think it will blow up. I think they're settling in and saying this is this is much more difficult than I thought for our new members, but they're starting to settle in on, on some agreements. I think we're going to be there. I think so as well. And I think that, um, first of all, it's about setting expectations. And I think the president and I have, with, in talking with our members and communicating, you know, through programs like this and, and the press, is our expectations are we have two constitutional duties, redistricting and the budget. Focus on the important things. And we'll get to some of those committee bills, some of the other things that were important during the interim, and we're, we'll pick up some personal bills as well. But focus on the things that are really our duties to the citizens of Wyoming, and that's the budget 
and redistricting. JAC has done a great job. I think we're going to have a budget that's very, you know, very um, solid. There, there'll be tweaks. There'll be changes. There'll be discussions. Redistricting. You know, I think um, this Friday we we should have a final a final final bill. I hope. Um, that's ready to go, and uh, there'll be some tweaks, there'll be some things that come up, and there'll be some discussions, but I think we can do that within the context of the time we have, in the context of in doing it in a civil, with the decorum that we expect from this institution, the citizens deserve in this state, and we will have, I think, the product that, that uh, serves all of our communities well. We have a couple of minutes left. I want to ask you about, uh, you were working very hard last year before it blew up at the end, but on education funding, that seems to be an issue we got to get back to one of these days and, and sort out. What do you think the solution is there? What do I think the solution is? Keep talking about it. Keep, keep people engaged. As you know, the governor has a, has a working group out there doing some work. I think the legislature, President Doc Stetter and, and myself, as we go into this next interim, I think, you know, we'll, we'll hopefully help give our interim committees some guidance and the, through management council say, okay, we have to continue having this discussion because we haven't saw, we, while we're better off on the general fund side, our education funding side is not, is not um, you know, at, a, at a steady state where we would like it. Um, and it comes on both sides of the ledger. But what, do we, what do we expect from education and what can we, you know, what can we um, adequately fund in education? Um, now, out of this particular session, I don't, I don't believe there's anything that's, um, you know, going to change the change the the formula right now. Change how we do things right now. There'll be some discussions, but I think we're still setting it up for the future. Part of that is how we deal with these federal funds. Does that help us set up for the future so we can have maybe a more robust discussion about education? But it's a long-term discussion when it comes to education, K-12 education funding. We think enough about education in our state, we want to get it right. And if we have to pause a little bit and take a deeper look, then we'll do that. We're going to get it right. We respect our schools. We want to keep the quality education that we have out there in place. We're going to get it done. Speaker Barlow mentioned earlier, Senator, that you know the revenue piece is still also looming out there as, as we look to the future a little bit. What What would get through the Senate. I'm curious because you've got a lot of folks that don't want taxes. It's a conservative base. I suspect the new taxes will not be there, but there is a way that we can find a, a better, we can take a different approach to living within our means. And uh, those talks are already ongoing. Yes, you do have a conservative Senate, and that's all part of the process. Is that's the check and balance out there, so that we don't uh, set ourselves up for problems in the future. The last thing I want to ask both of you is, uh, you know, I. Uh, talking about education, it got a little contentious last year. Uh, during the special session, we had a, a couple of unfortunate incidents that took place. You've got some folks that are, are pretty fired up, which is good, they're passionate, but they're, that can be bad. How do you keep things in check so we do maintain decorum and, and don't lose our way? I've asked for that on the floor. I've been given some assurances that as we step onto the floor and go to work that we're going to have that. Some in their own communities, uh, struggle with that, but at the same time, uh, it's a deep passion to get this job right, and you're just going to see that when feelings come out. Um, and we have to remember, these folks have been elected within their respective districts, but at the same time, we still have to keep a formal process underway. You know, I, yeah, and the House, of course, was subject to some of those uh, disruptions and, and, and quite, a, you know, serious incidences, if you will, that caused con consternation. Um, there's, no, there's nothing lost on folks in the audience that know that we've got some things we're going to be dealing with here soon again. Um, 
you know, as long as, and my, I think my job as a presiding officer is to lay out a, a, uh, a potential plan. The body ultimately rules. The body ultimately makes those decisions. Um, but if I hopefully find a, a path that they can get to those decisions and, you know, to, to uh, assure the folks of Wyoming that we are attending to the business and we can do it in a uh, respectful and manner that is worthy of, of serving them, then I think, you know, we will get through those things. Now, are, there, are they bumpy and sometimes messy and create headlines? Yes. But hopefully, end of the day, we actually get the work done that's important for the people. We like headlines. Some of us do, at any rate. Well, uh, Senator, Speaker, nice to have you with us. We'll enjoy chatting with you throughout the session. And thank you for joining us. Thank you, Bob. Thank you. Coming up, we're going to have a conversation about redistricting. We're going to take a deep dive for you so you can find out exactly what's happening. Stay with us on Capital Outlook. Welcome back to Capital Outlook. Again, I'm Bob Beck, and joining us now to talk about redistricting and some other issues is State Representative Dan Zwanitzer and Senator Ogden Driscoll. They're the co-chairs of the committee that's been working on redistricting, and uh, wasn't that exciting to have that assignment. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. Good morning. Well, well Dan, why don't we start with you, since you're closest to me. Um, I, this has been quite a process. Can you explain to the viewers what you're supposed to do, what, what is supposed to happen here. So every 10 years we have a decennial census and both the federal and the state governments redraw their legislative districts. Um, in Wyoming we only have one congressional district so we get off the hook um, for what a lot of consternation around the country is going through. But here in Wyoming we are redrawing um, all of our legislative districts. We did grow about two and a half percent over the last 10 years and those numbers didn't come to us until September. Um, and so in previous decades, we've gotten those numbers six, eight months earlier than this year. And so it has been a, a fairly significant scramble uh, starting in September um, to try to figure out how to redistrict uh, the state. And then the thing that happened, Senator Driscoll, is that there have been some, and not unexpectedly, some population shifts. Or urban areas such as Cheyenne have certainly seen some major growth and some more rural areas ha have not seen the same kind of growth and some decreases. Exactly, and you know it was was pretty clear, and we're following a national trend as our urban areas are growing in Wyoming, and our rural areas are tending to contract and shrink a little, and became really evident in the Bighorn Basin that that was the one area of the state that's been a, a real problem spot, and we knew it was a problem going in. It was on the edge last time, and it clearly did not fall within the, the standard deviation, and there wasn't really a way. It's one area that. Normally we'll, we'll move out, for example, and I started, I represent five counties, long ways away, but you could get to them all. And now you get to the basin where you're bounded by mountain ranges on a couple sides and really hard to deal with. And it left an incredibly difficult way to try to get them adequate representation without denying them because they were at a, a half a representative, not a not a full piece off, it was just a half. And so it made it very difficult to come up to a solution. And as you were dealing with solutions, boy, you managed to upset just about everybody in the entire state at some point. I know my friends in Albany County were mad at you. I know in uh, the southwest part of the state, there was a period where everybody was mad. Uh, Senator Driscoll, I'm still not sure if he's happy with anything that you've got in front of you. And so this has been a, quite a process. So. 
The solution we're looking at right now is to add a representative, or two representatives and a senator. Your thoughts on that? Um, I think as Senator Driscoll said, it's probably the right way to go. If you look at the Bighorn Basin, you either um, deny them a rep, and in denying them a rep, the way we do Senate nestings are two reps for one Senate district. And so that ricochets into Fremont County, which qualifies for four House districts and two Senate districts. So then if you don't give the basin six, you either have to go way below deviation or that ricocheting effect goes into Fremont and then forces another you know, ripple effect either in the Natrona or Sweetwater. And so ultimately what I think the majority of the committee got to is to get the basin within deviation, let's go to 62 House reps and 31 senators, continue this nesting concept of two reps in each Senate district. And that solved a lot of, of the issues. Certainly there's a couple more underlying, but um, it gave everybody some breathing room um, to ensure they could be within deviation. And um, you know, a lot of incumbents were um, concerned that with population dynamics, they would have to run against other incumbents. With that, you know, even 2%, 3% wiggle room, it allowed some um, flexibility and, um, and kind of trying to keep everybody from being completely against the plan, right? It's ultimately a legislative plan that you have to have a majority of both sides agree to. Um, so it's a very political process that we're dealing with. Senator Driscoll, your thoughts on this idea? I agree wholeheartedly with my co-chairman. And, you know, the process was, was incredible to watch. I was a new senator 10 years ago. I'd been in for a couple of years. So I, this is my second pass through. And I saw the contention and I thought, wow, I, I get to be chairman this time. We, we won't have it when I get to be there. And, you know, I really learned and it, I, I'm proud of what our, our committee did. It took a lot of heat, but what we really did was allowed every senator, every representative and any person that had a idea that they were going to build a better mousetrap, that they could do it. And so we looked at 30 or 40 plans and what we found out was what's good for the goose is not good for the gander. And so what plan someone brought that was the very best for their area really affected someone else in a very negative way. And so ultimately at the end of the day, you have to inflict the least amount of damage possible, but without a doubt, I don't think there's an area of the state that went unscathed. You know, the, the last area was Natrona and we'd left them and they were four tenths over and we'd left them alone because of the way it went. And all of a sudden, the last plan came in and affected Natrona County. And what we saw was a very meek and mild Senator Scott through the process become very agitated when all of a sudden we started cutting on his county. It was pretty fine until that point. And we found out with region by region, myself included, is when someone else came up with a great idea for your area that you didn't think was a great idea, you were not just hurt, but you're angry because this is for what the legislature looks like for the next 10 years. So it's very hard to be really balanced. And I'm like I say, I'm proud of the committee uh, looking at every single scenario and, and coming up with what they feel likes the best. We'll see what the, what the floor is, if they agree or disagree with us. I was here, uh, and I think Senator Scott and I were the only ones that were here in 1992 when this new system was developed. Uh, there were some budget cuts that year. There were a couple of other things that added to the tension, but I will say of all the years I've covered the legislature, 
that was the most contentious legislative session. It was nasty, people yelled at each other, there have been long-term implications from all that. What's, what have you gotten feedback-wise uh, on this one? Is this, I, I, I'm hearing that out in the hinterland, this has been very contentious. Absolutely, I would say there's been 40 to 50 public meetings. I can tell you in a uh, rural part of the state where I live, it's not been unusual to have 70 to 100 people to show up at a meeting, which is unheard of. So it tells you it's an issue that's really near and dear to them. Representation matters. Uh, unfortunately for part of it, you know, we ended up with a urban versus rural split. And what I really came up with at the end of the day was everybody found reasons why they were different than someone else when in truth, other than we've got two or three quote, quote, cities out there that are there. But the rest of the state is really pretty homogenous. Uh, a rural area in Sweetwater County is not much different than one in Crook County or in Goshen County, yet they, in their eyes, they see themselves as a very distinct community of interest. And we're, we're all proud of our community. So what are you hearing from folks? I think there's some general trepidation about growing government, right? The, the plan of actually growing the number of legislators really wasn't on the table in the beginning. We looked at ways to cut the number. Um, but ultimately, I think this allowed, um, we got through the kind of the rural-urban um, divide by ensuring those kind of rural voices are still at the table while ensuring that the population growth, Laramie County grew 8,700 people, that population growth is still represented. So. I think it's fair. I feel I can go into session and say not everybody likes this, but I'm confident that we did kind of the best we could on short notice that does the most amount of good. And um, I mean, that was really important for me to be able to go in the legislature and say, hey, I think this is fair um, and does you know what it should be doing for the next 10 years. And I'm smiling because I know everybody's going to agree with you. They're just going to sure. sit down and say, boy, is that what a great plan. And, and uh, so how do you keep things, I'll, I'll ask you about the house first, that, that's a festive place. How, how do you keep things uh, in order there and not lose this plan? You know, it's gonna be tough, right? Um, ultimately, and I was here 10 years ago, if we can agree on Friday this week to a committee plan, which I think we will, um, we're gonna go and the members of the house are gonna defend that plan. It's kind of like the budget, right? Not every single member likes everything in the budget, but when the appropriations committee goes to the floor, um, they know what we went through for the last six months, and they've heard the public comment and uh, um, all sorts of people saying all sorts of things, right? Um, so when it gets to the floor, I do think the committee will be united, uh, the majority in the House, and we'll push it, we'll push it through. Um, and there will be some amendments. I think last year or 10 years ago, they had two amendments, um, a small one from the House and a more significant one from the Senate. I, I think everyone's anticipating that we'll have some battles on some amendments, but... You know, every amendment that changes some district will ricochet throughout others, and I think it'll be a good balance of conversation on the whole legislature realizing, you know, kind of what we've gone through for the past six months behind the scenes, trying to figure out how to make this work. When they have to try to figure out how to make it work, they'll, I think, get to the same point we did, that this is the best option going forward. Well, how's it going to look in the Senate, do you think? You know, probably even more contentious a little. We've got, you know, a competing plan out there that's been there. And uh, the Senate has really been difficult on the way they they take a look at it. Uh, I think the, the demeanor and the amendments that come Friday are going to play a big role on what comes. We know there's amendments coming to the plan Friday. Uh, hopefully we get through because the, the truth is, by law, we have to do it. 
the results are really bad for both the legislature and the state if we don't come out of the legislature with a plan. And I think the co-chairman would agree with me, there really isn't going to be a plan that makes everybody happy. It's just not possible. So when we walk off the floor after the final vote on redistricting, there's going to be people that are emotional and unhappy. And I, I feel terrible about it. Uh, I had no clue when I walked into this uh, what, what degree of personal uh, it would get with different people. And it's really hard. I've always been known for getting along good with everybody. And all of a sudden, I find myself with close friends having animated conversations and pretty barbed emails. And, uh, and that's, that's with friends. That doesn't count to people who don't like you. <laughs> So uh, one of the ideas for the future that has been kicked around is maybe having not legislators put this together and having a committee of people after having been through this. Do you like that idea? I don't. Uh, you know, I've got a co-sponsor request on my desk. Senator Grew is a good friend. And it sounds kind of kind of appealing on the edge until you really think about what politics are and how they work. And an appointed commission still is going to be all Wyoming people that are from different areas of the state that go through the same process we've done. It will take some of the heat off the legislature, but it transfers it to that final vote. And what I really think needs done for redistricting is we need to codify some of what we believe. Uh, you know, we need to look at the standards. Our uh, counties a higher standard than another one because we have a whole set of principles that we voted on. But those principles we found changed from the start to the end, they changed. And if they were boxed in more solid, I think you could do it. And if you were really gonna do an unbiased opinion is you'd weight each of those principles and you'd go ahead and have a programmer do it because computers are heartless and say, Here's the, here's the hard boundaries for geographic. Here's the balance we give counties. Here's what we give. And, and I think if you did that, it would give you a better starting place. Because right now, really what we do for a plan is everybody just puts stuff up. The mm -hmm. good co-chairman brought plans. I brought plans. And they tend to be harder to defend when you brought something yourself because all of a sudden you put a bullseye on your own plan when you started. So. So, so what do you think, Dan, about uh, maybe an outside commission? I think I'm on the same page as my co-chair. This year was just so difficult that the census numbers came in seven months late that we scrambled. And so it, I think there was a lot more uh, scrutiny and it looked, a lot, um, it looked a lot worse than it was with so many plans so quickly. And I think that was where everybody got frustrated as they thought they were safe in their district. And then this small plan from another part of the state ricocheted and affected them. Um, you know, 10 years ago when we had the numbers eight months in advance, we had a lot more community meetings. Um, we had a lot more kind of pre-planning before the first initial plan was put out there. We didn't get to the first plan until middle of December when I, I basically said we got to have something statewide because these puzzle pieces don't keep fitting. And then once we did that, it was, you know, uh, the plan that I submitted got everybody equally disliking it, but everybody amending it from at least one standard plan. And I, I think it was just a matter of time this year that led to a, a lot more emotion and not having that kind of communication period with a lot more planning and a lot more thought. It was so rushed this year. And a lot of people are still upset about the census numbers. I mean, we've had, I think, three counties are going to sue, they've already said, the federal government, because they believe their census numbers are off. And so when you start with three counties coming to you saying, our numbers are off, we need you to draw differently than our numbers even say, 
Um, the Constitution of Wyoming says you must draw by the census numbers. We kind of started out behind the eight ball and never, never really got out of the line of fire from the very beginning. And I think it's a matter of time this year. I'm anticipating the legislature will debate a bill or uh, at least a concept that the committee defeated this year. And this is, again, dealing with primary elections. A uh, lot of ideas have been out there. There's a concept where the top two vote getters would go to a runoff if somebody did not have over 50% of the ballot. And that's what really what this has been all about for the viewers is that People don't like the fact that we've elected governors and some other people with just 25, 26, whatever it is, percent of the vote. And, and that's been the case for a long time. And I know it. people haven't liked that for a long time. So what's the solution to this, Dan? I'll, I'll start with you. And so this isn't a new issue, right? I've been on corporations for over a decade. And we've talked a lot about how our election process in Wyoming is not perhaps the most fair. Um, even in my county, we had two county commission seats up about six years ago. 26 people ran. And so the people who got the seats, both Republicans, I got, think got 10 and 11 percent in the primary. And so we've discussed options for the past decade on, is there a more fair way to do it? Is it a runoff primary? Is it an open primary? Is it a, a top two? Is it what we call a jungle primary, where we don't really even have a partisan primary? We just have a kind of a pre-election and another election. And so I think with the, the congressional issues going on this year, um, it all came to a head of um, the Republican Party coming to the legislature saying, we're finally ready to find a new system. Um, I don't think on short notice, the, with, every, with the redistricting everything going on this year was we found the answer that the committee could agree on. And so I know there is a bill for runoff primaries. Um, I believe there are other pieces of legislation moving around for other types of, of better election systems. But I do think it's time for Wyoming to find a different process when we're over 70% Republican, our primary has become our election and we probably need more flexibility in what that looks like to get a majority winner. Ogden, you like a runoff primary? I think the debate needs to be there and needs to be had. And yeah, I like the idea of it. What we really found when we got to committee is federal election laws play such a major role. We, statutorily, we have deadlines in the state of Wyoming. Federally, we have deadlines. And to make everything fit in those deadlines, you know, it's like so many other good, good ideas, legislative, we step out and say, well, this is really not very hard to fix. And then when you really get down to working with it, and we found that out early on, we had a very contentious meeting early on about it. And, you know, it takes a constitutional amendment in Wyoming, actually, to, to really make it work correctly. I mean, you can do it without it, but not very easily. And so what you see coming this year is a constitutional amendment alongside of another bill. And uh, it, it's just not as simple as it seems. And it gets even more complicated when you start getting into absentee ballots and overseas ballots because those people have to have all those in a certain window. And when you go to that, it really honestly makes it very hard. And it, the issues blend. We go into crossover voting with it. We go into, you know, it's not one issue. It's a whole series of issues that pull together. And, and they all really need dealt with in some fashion, but we, are, are searching for solutions. And as we all know, a lot of times these bills will come up two or three times before we finally find the right solution. And I think the bills this year are gonna to lead to some good conversations and a good path towards getting it fixed. 
as somebody who has had to do general elections for many years that ended up being meaningless because everything was solved in the primary, I'll, I'll give you a, a final thought. Let's make general elections great again. So whatever you do, let's make those work out for us. Thanks to both of you for joining us, and, and we'll check back in with you, if you don't mind, later in the session and, and see how you're doing, because I'll worry about... Oh, I'll put a quick cheat in, and if you can get it done before you solve out. So the first capital outlook was Senator Leland Christensen, and we just lost him. And uh, I think it's appropriate to start a session to recognize the impact to the state of Wyoming and to the legislature of one of our really, truly great leaders that, that left us too soon. Wonderful guy. I think we all agree with that. Well, thanks to both of you for joining us. Uh, when we come back, we're going to hear from a couple of the Democratic members of the legislature. going to have a fun conversation about a number of bills that they've been working on. Stay with us. This is Capital Outlook. Welcome back to Capital Outlook. We're going to invite a couple of Democrats now to join us. Of course, Laramie Representative Carly Provenza, first time on the program, welcome. And Jackson Representative Mike Yin. Uh, Representative Provenza, let's start with you. I'd like, just since you are a freshman, just sort of have you introduce yourself to the state of Wyoming a little bit. Yeah, thanks, Bob. I am representative for House District 45. That's in Laramie. Um, I am a recent UW graduate with my PhD in psychology and law. Um, I am also a daughter of a family that has struggled with health care and economic stability, and I bring those perspectives with me to this body. Well, one of those is Medicaid expansion, which I know of you've been a strong supporter of over the past. Tough road to hoe to get two-thirds introduction. Uh, how are you feeling about things this year? You know, I, I feel like there's a stronger push than ever for Medicaid expansion. There's been a uh, really concerted effort by the people of Wyoming to fight for it, and that's something that I think is kind of unprecedented here, and so I am I am looking forward to seeing what the vote comes out as. I feel confident that we've at least moved in the right direction. Um, but it, you're right, a two-thirds vote is difficult. So we'll see. Um, but I'm going to be working until the last minute to try and get those votes in. Why is this so important? And, and you know, we've been watching this for years and years and years. I've, I've lost track, as a matter of fact. But why is this so important to, to keep pushing on this and to finally get this passed? Because I think, you know, if we pass Medicaid expansion tomorrow and we ensured that more people in Wyoming could have health care, we're looking at 25,000 or more. That's 25,000 people that have families. That's 25,000 people that face medical debt or struggle to get to a doctor. Um, I mentioned my, my family. My mom lives in southern Colorado, and there she has access to Medicaid. And she was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. And had she not had that access to care, she wouldn't be here today. Um, and so I think about all the people, those 25,000 people, and who they are and who their families are. And that's really what's at stake here. Representative Yen, you've heard the feedback. I mean, there's a lot of people that believe this is uh, helping people out that are, are not, I guess, working or uh, trying to get insurance, those kinds of things. They, they would rather have an easy way to get insurance. Your thoughts on that? So, I mean, I think it needs to be clear what Medicaid expansion is, right? So there's this cliff 
um, from the ACA of what plans are not subsidized anymore. And so if you make below that amount of money, but you make above what is covered currently by Medicare, you don't have an unsubsidized plan. So you're, you're basically um, a working class stiff who can't afford health care. So if your choice is between getting health care or paying your rent or your mortgage, you're going to pay your rent or your mortgage and hope you don't have a catastrophic health event in your life. But we shouldn't have that sort of, that's not a solution for healthcare for Wyomingites, right? So trying to fill that gap, that's what Medicaid expansion does. And the, the choice isn't that people are, are not working enough or not getting healthcare. You know, frankly, they're just not getting paid enough to afford healthcare, and we're not doing anything about it when we could be pumping federal dollars into our system to make sure it works. You had some testimony on in your committee, one of your committees this year that was talking about that very thing and what has happened uh, is I'm starting to see a different lobby show up. You're seeing small business people show up and they're saying, you know, we're not getting the subsidies anymore and we have people that can't get insurance, please do something about this. And that seems to be maybe a different approach and a different discussion than, we, than we've seen in the past. Yeah, there's certainly a push now from businesses because folks are recognizing that healthy workers are happier workers, more productive workers, um, and that oftentimes we have people that are working multiple jobs and because they have to work those multiple jobs to get that full time don't have access to that health care, but businesses want their employees to be healthy so they can come back to work. <laughs> How tired are you of the discussion that the money may go away from the federal government? You know, I think that is a bad framing. The framing is it's important for all of our citizens in Wyoming to be able to afford health care. Um, and we have an opportunity now with extra federal dollars, but now you're hearing from groups like the Jackson Hole Chamber of Commerce is coming out in support of Medicaid expansion. Um, you hear the hospital groups testify every single time. What I'd like people to do is just ask their bartender, ask their, their barista, do they have health care? Can they afford health care? If they can't, what do they think the solution is? And it probably would be nice to get the governor to support this at some point. Yeah, absolutely. Anybody that is in a position in which they can support the people of Wyoming um, through policy and through their views and voice is important. Well, you've both been working on another topic that we've also been talking about since I was 12, I think, and that's juvenile justice reform. Uh, the Judiciary Committee has come up with a, an idea where you're going to do a study. Can you explain a little bit what, what's going on here? Yeah, so our, what we're doing is we're bringing a bill to ensure that there's data collection and we're asking for the Department of Family Services to kind of come up with that data collection will look like, what are those variables, um, and then be able to present information to the judiciary because as we know, juvenile justice right now, it's kind of a black box. There's a lot of information that we don't have that we otherwise should um, to help us in making policy decisions. Representative Yim, what are you looking at? What, what do you want to hear? You know, I think um, we want to hear how kids get through the process and what the outcomes are and what happens to those kids during the process that um, create bad outcomes and how we can fix those. So what, having that data makes us be able to make better policy decisions in that arena. My understanding is also 
it's a different situation in every county. Uh, you know, Albany County, where we're from, has a youth crisis center, has some services that are available there. Not every county has those kinds of things. Is, will that help to get kind of a snapshot on what's available and, and maybe you can address both the infrastructure as, as well as sentencing, things like that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I would agree with that. And, you know, what it also gets us is what is the best use of our tax dollars to be able to get the best outcome for kids. And so if we see that a county is performing better than another county on a per capita basis, maybe we can share that information between counties or make it a statewide program where we can, we can solve these issues statewide. It's been such a tough issue to maybe get our arms around. And in, in your view, you're new to all of this. What, what has made it such a difficult thing to get a handle on? I mean, I think part of it is that we do have the issue with counties um, where we just have we don't necessarily have equitable outcomes across the state of Wyoming. I think the other issue is that we have different um, folks who are in charge of, say, the county, like who's running the county um, facilities or programs for juveniles versus the state, um, who has access to that data. And part of that has been a concern about confidentiality for, for youth. And so not having that information or not being able to aggregate it somewhere has really been uh, difficult and a big hurdle that we need to cross. Seems like there's also been trouble over the years, uh, Mike, on, on getting uh, prosecutors to all agree on, on some sort of a solution. Uh, there are different people that have different philosophies. Sure, yeah. I mean, every pros prosecutor is elected by their county, and so that some of those um, have different ideals or ways of doing things. but. You know, I think what we all want is the best outcome for the people of our county, and, and hopefully um, that's something that we can bring all the stakeholders, including the county prosecutors, on board for. Another very serious issue, and, and the committee just couldn't find a solution once again this year, is, is how you deal with some people that have some mental health challenges and, uh, you know, need some help, need to go to an institution, need to go somewhere, and they call that Title 25. An attempt was made again this year that, that sort of fell apart right at the end. What happened there and what do you think uh, needs to happen next? You know, I think one of the biggest issues for many members of the committee was just cost. And, and it wasn't an issue that it was addressed. We more tried to address the process. Um, and, you know, one thing that happened during trying to address the process in my opinion, is, is not getting enough stakeholders on board. So we got the prosecutors, but I think um, getting more people together to try to figure out what is the best for the individuals that, you know, it's a big deal um, hospitalizing someone without their consent because they are not able to um, handle that for themselves, but you wanna make sure that it is the right choice for that person um, in every situation. And, Trying to have a, a concrete process to do that that works for everybody is difficult. And so we tried, we'll try again. It, it sounds too that uh, much like the last issue is finding uh, services or finding providers in these communities that, that are nearby because the challenge has been a lot of these cases. Like I was talking to the Sheridan County Sheriff and you know, they don't have the resources always to drive somebody all the way to Evanston or, or wherever it is. And getting regional services, is, is that something that needs to be figured out? 
Yeah, I think we don't, again, have equitable services across counties, and so we need to find a way to bolster our mental health services outside of just our, our state hospital and others um, so that people have a way to get access to care before they end up maybe in that Title 25 situation or having um, hospitalization forced on them. So that's certainly a concern um, in terms of just making sure that people have access to that, um, to that care. Yeah, and, and finding psychiatrists, I, I don't know what the number was, but the last I heard, it was a very low number of psychiatrists right now in the state. Yeah, we have a difficult time, I think, having the appropriate folks with the appropriate knowledge to kind of help make these decisions. And so when we were talking about this bill in judiciary, um, you know, uh, Representative Yin mentioned stakeholders, and we had a lot of folks from the uh, County Attorneys Association come, and, and they certainly had valid and important points, um, but we didn't get a lot from mental health providers um, or people that were impacted. And those are, quite frankly, two very important points that we need to look at, and how do we bring people to the state to provide the services, and how do we make sure that we're addressing the rights of patients? Got a couple of minutes left. I want to ask you about a couple of different things. Uh, this is the budget session, uh, and you're going to not only have that, but you've got this additional money, the ARPA money. Uh, we're still waiting on some of those bills to show up, but uh, what, what would you like to see some of the money used for this year? You know, I think the one of the biggest things we need to do is roll back some of the mental health services cuts that we made. So last year we had a bill that set priorities for who could or could not get covered for mental health. Um, and that was really, I think, an eye-opener for a lot of people where we need these services. And cutting them back over and over and then trying to revert them back and forth is not good for Wyomingites to grow up in that kind of environment. What about you? Yeah, I mean, echoing that as well, I serve on the Governor's Task Force for Suicide Prevention uh, for Veterans, and there were a few policies that came out of that work that looked at providing more care for folks who are struggling with suicide, um, 988 funding, or ways to have crisis intervention that, that makes sense for folks. Um, and I, I believe that those those... Uh, proposals were not accepted by the Joint Appropriations Committee, so I'm going to be looking for ways to ensure that we can help prevent suicide in Wyoming, which is one of our number one. We're usually one of the top states in that rank, and that's not something to be excited about. Representative Yin, you have had the pleasure, and this has been the redistricting show a little bit, but uh, just your thoughts as, as the Democrat who gets to have a, a say in this. What, how are you viewing this process, and do you like this, this latest plan? You know, I think the hardest thing to do is just make sure that we fulfill our constitutional obligations of equal protection. So that's essentially the one person, one vote rule, where each of us as citizens of Wyoming, voters of Wyoming, have equal say in what happens in the legislature through our vote, through, through our vote, through our representative. And, you know, I think that has been very tough um, dealing with the realities of the changes that has happened within our state. And, you know, they're only going to get tougher in 10 years. So I, I think that we have a good compromise plan at the moment, um, but anything can happen during the session, and I'm sure anything will. You said before we started off the air, and I'll just repeat it, you said, boy, this might be a tough one for people in 10 years to deal with. <laughs> Could you explain? Yes, yeah. So, you know, I think the changes that are happening now are going to be changes that continue to happen in 10 years. Um, 
our cities will grow. Uh, but you know, I think we, we are a rural, rural state, so even in our cities, we support rural Wyoming, um, but it is clear that uh, populations shift, and the populations will shift even more in 10 years. Representative Carly Provenza and, of course, Jackson Representative Mike Ian, thanks to both of you for getting over here and joining us, and good luck in the upcoming legislative session. Thank you. Thank you. And again, thanks to all of you who are joined us. Don't forget, we'll have the State of the State for you at 10 o'clock on Monday. Have a tremendous weekend, and thanks for watching. This program is supported in part by a grant from the BNSF Railway Foundation, dedicated to improving the general welfare and quality of life in communities throughout the BNSF Railway Service Area. Proud to support Wyoming PBS. And by the members of the Wyoming PBS Foundation. Thank you for your support.